Welcome to the Love Your Life Project, a gentle guide to living a wholehearted, meaningful life. In these trying times, listen to stories, poems, musings, mystical wisdom to inspire you and to bring a little more light to your day. I'm Anna Ramana. again my dearest friends oh it feels like it's been quite a while I feel like I've been to another world in the interim but I am back again in the saddle or more accurately in the podcast chair here with my microphone and and just so happy to be with you again So I thought I would share a little bit about what's been unfolding here. Um, Feels like I've been on quite the deep dive lately. A kind of inner pilgrimage, I suppose, that was thrust upon me by the body's offerings. I think being already compromised, you know, physically with the the long-standing foot injury then contracting COVID on top of it, it really sent me spiraling into, into some deep spaces. You know, I wasn't able to see anyone or even to speak to anyone for quite a while um, because my throat was just too sore. So I had nothing but time, really. And, and the big question, you know, or possibility, I suppose, was where, where to place my attention. I mean, I suppose that that's the ongoing question for all of us. Like, where is your attention? Is it really here in this moment now? Or is it in the past or caught up with some notions of a, an imaginary future? So the irony, really, for me during this time is that when the body is compromised, as I'm sure you've experienced all the attention automatically goes towards that, to the body. It's just screaming for your attention. And I say irony because this whole journey back home, back to our true selves, it's really all about dissembling identification with the form, with this slip, you could call it, this ghost of a vibration that we call me, that's always insisting that we respond to it. And when we're sick or ill or physically hurting, you know, all of our attention is just sucked in to the form. 
So at one point in the middle of a, a long sleepless night, something shifted. You know, it shifted to a, a broader awareness and it widened the lens onto this body that I was watching like a worm squirming on the bed, helpless, hopeless, wreathing in discomfort. And there was just a flash of, just for a sec, how did I ever imagine that thing between the sheets to be who I was, who I am? It was as if being reduced to a form overtaken by pain, there was no room for anything else. And in that reduction, a window opened to to a larger seeing, I suppose, or a possibility anyway. So that quintessential million-dollar question, who am I really? Is this all there is? You know, the life, the life amounting to this, an apparition of a form all caught up in its own misery. Is this the beginning and the end of it? Or I began to ask myself, you know, could I bring conscious presence to the situation, to the moment, Could I offer a wide, welcoming space to hold all of it? Could I open my, let's say, my metaphorical arms to embrace the disharmony, the suffering, and just snuggle it into the balm of my own heart? Could I be the the loving presence for my own weary, hurting self? And I have to say, it took everything to strive to be the lover and the beloved, to be the compassionate love for even the resistance, even, you know what they call in Buddhism, the closed fist, the places that are tight and contracted inside of us. So all those questions were swirling around, but there was enough distance, I suppose, at a certain point, enough uh spaciousness to really investigate and I think when something that gets worn down something gets shredded when we're really really compromised and it felt like a a golden opportunity if I was open to it to really work with this barrage of unending emotions thoughts sensations that just accosted me day in night out And the wearing down is never easy or smooth, I have to say. And something in this, I might call it a journey through COVID, this continued quarantine that's lasted for me and gone on all year without much let up, it really shoved me, catapulted me for a while into the pit of despair But I think it was important, you know, because then the questions became, what happened to my life? All the things that brought pleasure, they were just gone. And it was as if I finally realized that the identity that comprised me, what I call me, was being clumsily shaved in a way, leaving nicks and cuts and a wounded spirit. But it really did untie some strong, previously imagined unbreakable bonds or attachments to who I believe this me to be. She hadn't been available for almost a year anyway. Why was I clinging to some past version, some past vision that that wasn't true 
any longer. And the clincher, I think, that snapped the ties to identity was remembering, you know, this book I read about this forest monk. I think I've spoken about it in previous episodes. But when he was interviewed about his monastic life and, you know, how he'd spent his time in solitude and meditation, what he'd gotten from it. And he said his biggest takeaway, and I just remembered this, was that he no longer believed his thoughts. He no longer believed his thoughts. And he called it his superpower. And I thought, wow, what a gift that could be if we just stop buying into the unceasing demands of thoughts, following each one, building some wild story around it based on previous experience and anticipation of a, let's say in quotes, a known future. What grace to lay down the knowing and just let ourselves be breathed into each new moment, into each new now. There is a beautiful few lines I read by the wondrous Fred Lamott about that, and I'll just share them with you now. He said, dwell in the uncertain and call it possibility. Dwell in the uncertain and call it possibility. Drink from the unknown and call it wine. Savor one breath of silence through your broken heart. Savor one breath of silence through your broken heart and call it bread. This is better than a thousand right answers. I just love that. Making wine, making bread, making a sacrament of what can't be known. You know, the mind is built, this whole computer system, this automatic unfolding of thoughts, it's built on making order out of chaos, chaos, therefore knowing things, when really we live in an unknowable, unpredictable universe. And when we stop following those thoughts, that constant stream There's this other door, this other window that opens. And I remember the forest monk saying that he wanted to hear what that wise voice inside me had to say. That's something that always seems to be with me. That something that wishes me well. I just love that. That larger something that wishes me well. Not the mind that's always trying to pull us down and can be quite a bully sometimes, but something that wishes me well. And I love that he also said, this monk, he said, you need to go to that place where it hurts and try to see it with as much love and understanding and compassion as you can. And try to find a way to drag dark dark thoughts out into the light without believing their content. And that's the key, dragging these dark thoughts that were assailed with all of us at different times. To bring them out into the light, which is to say to hold them in love, but not buy into their content. It's a challenge, you know, not listening to the pre-programmed mental spinnings 
but tuning instead into that immovable, steady compass of our own heart, that spaciousness of love, or we could call it existence or consciousness. And it's where we all belong. It's our true north. It's our home, really. So there was a quote I came across, I believe in the same book from Einstein. And apparently he said that the rational mind is a servant. The rational mind, i.e. our thoughts, is a servant. The intuitive mind is a sacred gift. And Einstein felt that we've created this world, this society that honors the servant, the mind, and has forgotten the gift, the intuitive knowing, which is not a knowing of the mind, but it's like that inner, inner wisdom of the heart. So basically it's, it involves separating what we believe, which is me suffering in pain and alone and lost, which is how I felt for a while, separating that belief from what we know, that we aren't separate, but we're part of life, capital L, life, an equal and as important an aspect of life as everything else. So I've been reading a fascinating article about what's called complexity theory. And basically it's exploring the mystery of existence and our part in it. I would say the mystery and the miracle of existence. And it talks about how we are, quote, atoms of consciousness, unquote. Atoms of consciousness. So we're both part of, and at the very same time, the whole. So we're both and part of and the whole itself. So our illusory self is this constantly shape-shifting arrangement of cells and molecules and sensations. So how can we be the same me as that fetus we were, that baby, that child, that teenager, that adult? You know, it's like we're constantly shape-shifting. So why do we think that there's this um, unchangeable me, certainly not in the realm of sensation, but there is that unchangeable aspect of existence that I call the heart, the unified field of love, or in other words, home. So the article I was reading about complexity theory, it's from the Marginalian website, if you're interested. And it speaks of, and I love this quote, the vanity of free will, the vanity of free will, which keeps us from seeing clearly our nature as particles in a self-organizing whole. It's an amazing thing to contemplate, this vanity of free will, which keeps us from clearly seeing our nature as particles in a constantly self-organizing whole. So the piece quotes a man called Theus, I think is how you pronounce his surname. And he had an intense ancestral inheritance. And yet he wrote, while we feel ourselves to be thinking, living beings with independent lives inside the universe, 
the complementary view is also true. We don't live in the universe. We embody it. We don't live in the universe, but we embody it. It's like how we think of ourselves as living on the planet, even as, in a way, we are the planet. It's pretty fascinating stuff. He goes on to say, and I'll just read you this quote because I just, it really is kind of thought-provoking. I just love it. He says, you are this body and you are these molecules and you are these atoms and you are these quantum entities and you are the quantum foam and you are the energetic field of space-time and ultimately you are the fundamental awareness out of which all of these emerge. So imagine that, the amazement of who we really are. There's a vast awareness, which is the totality of all existence, a part of and the whole itself. It's just, you know, it's mind-blowing, which quite literally is a good thing. It blows the circuits of the computerized mind and opens the doorway into becoming or realizing the vastness of who we really are. I mean, it's so humbling. So where does that leave us? We're part of the very mystery, really, that we're trying to unravel. And just contemplating all this recently, it, it really helped to kind of resituate, geographically you could say, in the ethers, it helped to resituate this form, this body-mind called Anna, in her finite, limited role. And instead, it helped place these atoms, molecules of being that are constantly changing, that I've believed myself to be, it helps place them within the larger strata of existence, essentially freeing her, me, of the boundaries of small self and settling into that larger belonging, freed of holding on, of attachment, need, desire, fear, and simply coming home, just simply coming home. Why all this efforting and resisting you know, I, I, I say why, but it's like we have to go through it. We all do. It's part of the package, I guess, to help to shed all the old inherited beliefs and ways of being that we've bought into. And of course, it's an ongoing process. These times of purging, pain, they relieve us of another layer. They lighten our load the ease, the make-believe burden we tell ourselves we have to carry. I think in these past months, the great gift given from all of the, the kind of physical challenges and emotional and spiritual, the great gift has turned out to be the taking away of those staples that felt so necessary to uphold the image of a me and my place in the world. As the forest monk mentioned, one of his teachers saying, the most refined forms of happiness 
are defined more by the absence of things. The most refined forms of happiness are defined more by the absence of things rather than the presence of things. Now there's a koan to wrap your head around. <laughs> Leaning into the absence and finding fulfillment there. It's amazingly rich when you take the time to explore or even when you're shoved there against your make-believe will. <laughs> Something solid Something solid gives up, you know, it evaporates and it leaves a, a kind of shimmering light in its wake. So, you know, I wouldn't say I'm out of the woods yet by any means, but there has been a great, a great gem of a gift given in this time when so much felt like it was taken. And so I felt too to just share this with you. You know, we're all in this together, aren't we? We're all kind of trudging, plodding, walking, dancing, finding our way back home. So I want to leave you with a sweet few lines from the poet Chellen Harkin. I just happened to open her book to this poem and it feels appropriate. It's called ecstatic spark. Darling, I've seen the hypervigilance of tight reins you use to hold back your frothing soul from racing toward what it loves. Darling, I've seen the hypervigilance of tight reins you use to hold back your frothing soul from racing towards what it loves. And while I understand your hesitation, I pray that this wild-haired universe will grab you close, hold you to her chest, and whisper, this life is a brief, ecstatic spark. This life is a brief, ecstatic spark. Darling, fling yourself into the stars. Darling, Fling yourself into the stars.